Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris Lovello Sows on social media, and today is another great Sow Over 50 podcast. Now grab a cuppa and relax with us. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to So Over 50 podcast on So Organised Style. So Over 50 intersects with all communities. Today's podcast guest is Emily or at Loves a Slug 2 and they describe themselves as a ruthless blocker. And I'm so pleased that Emily answered my direct message when I asked her to be on the podcast. Let's give a warm welcome to Emily. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I laughed when you said that part about being a ruthless blocker because I didn't want to have a public Instagram account for a long time because there are a lot of creepy people on the internet. And I don't know what it is about being an older woman, but you attract these people who want to message you. Do you get that too? Yes, I do. And they leave you long messages about how beautiful you are and how you must be a nice person. Yes, so that's why I put ruthless blocker in there. <laughs> yeah, there are some really interesting messages that you get. And you're right, when they say, you know, how beautiful you are, I had to put this straight, but yes, I am. <laughs> You don't have to tell me that. Sorry, I'm just kidding. And it's just so funny, really. But it must be really hard for people who are in a vulnerable position and they get these messages and it's really not nice. So being a ruthless block of people like that is worthwhile doing. I try not to engage. And perhaps we have a little bit of armor, maybe over 50 that I think I didn't have when I was 25 or 30 that now I read them out loud to my husband and he says, people really send you those? Yes, this is, look, take a look. And we laugh and then I just block. I don't even think about it. I don't respond. I often will get people who are fat fetishists or who have a fetish about, especially if you use any of the hashtags to do with having a fat body, you get some really uncomfortable comments that that really they're only interested in one thing or they think that you're vulnerable older woman who's in need of an ego prop up and that they perhaps I think often they're fishing for other things right they're fishing for your passwords or fishing for your money it's um there's an ugly side to the internet sometimes was your account private first and then public I have two accounts. So my private account, I was starting to do a lot more writing about size and about aging. And I wrote a couple of angry, frustrated things. I think for Jess brought in the seams, she had created a blog for fat makers and I wrote something for that and it got taken up by so over 50 and by other people. And I thought, okay, maybe it's time that I have two accounts. I'll do my family private things on my private account that my family likes to see all the photos and then put my activism in a public space. And I've tried really hard to keep those two things separate. 
in the public account, you don't see my husband or my sons very often. And I try not to post too much about my work or anything else. My work in the university system is starting to overlap with the things that I'm doing on my public Instagram now. I'm working in more in fat studies. I've got an article coming out on Anne of Green Gables. And I've actually got two articles coming out on Anne of Green Gables and the pressure to be thin. Those two things are starting to overlap in some interesting ways, but it's always a big question. I really, maybe because I grew up in the diplomatic service, which was such a fishbowl, I really value privacy now. Although it seems like I spill about my whole world and there are things that I say without ever, you know, I talk openly about mental health. Some of my life, I do like to keep totally private. So yes, I, I'm always questioning myself. Is this something that my sons really want to see or my son's friends really want to see <laughs> or hear about <laughs> as I'm writing about menopausal hot flashes? I think to myself, well, you know, maybe those 20-year-old young men should hear about it. <laughs> and I think we need to take some of the stigma out of it. So that was how I ended up with two accounts. But my public one is Love Us Love 2, T-O-O. And that's one where I post my most interesting stuff. My private account is, especially now that my sons are grown and, and don't spend a lot of time with us, they tend to be sunsets and dog pictures. <laughs> Going to the topics that you have been writing about and yeah. being very open about, you've made the decision that you feel comfortable now talking about that, whereas years ago, people wouldn't have done so. What sort of feedback are you getting? It's really interesting. I think that there are a lot of us who are over 50 and feel disenfranchised by fashion, by the media, even by social media. You know, we found our own little pockets, but, you know, influencer culture on social media is everywhere and they're all predominantly young. And for those of us who are also fat and over 50, it's a kind of a double silence. You're made really visible by the size of your body, but you're expected to be invisible by your age. And so you're in this very public, private space in a fat body. You're hyper visible and invisible at the same time. And I think that what I've tapped into is a collective rage for, I think from some of the comments that I've gotten is there's a, a lot of resentment and rage that were silenced as we're assigned female at birth. Some of us may be, you know, moving into non-binary identities. Some of us may already be there. Some of us may identify predominantly as feminine, but all of us really feel silenced. And silenced by younger women, silenced by younger makers, silenced by like a, a whole apparatus, media apparatus that doesn't really want to see us or hear us. As I've been working in fat studies, I've also noticed that the same thing has happened in a lot of kind of fat circles is that most of the voices doing the work, I don't want to speak down to that because they have done a lot of the work while maybe my generation was still struggling with a lot of the culture that we were, you, I mean, we think about being a teenager in the eighties and, and the intense pressure to be thin, the kind of as, as princess Diana memoirs and images are coming back up. I was thinking about 
that unrelenting pressure of thinness. But, you know, in, in a lot of fat circles, we're not talking about how our relationship to our bodies changes, no matter what your size is, your relationship to your body really changes over 40, but particularly over 50. Menopause does things to us that I don't think we all anticipate we don't talk about. And as I'm thinking that all genders can go through menopause, like we're not having these conversations. You know, long answer to what was a short question. I think that's where I've been getting a lot of really interesting, sometimes angry, sometimes, you know, fist pump in the air responses. Yes. Yeah. And it's been neat, you know, you talking to people, I've, I've made some lovely friends this way. We're still vibrant. We still have a lot to do. We still have a lot to say. And I also think as older makers in the community, you know, I was a knitter before I started sewing. And I think about somebody like Elizabeth Zimmerman, who has taught us so much about knitting, about how to knit, about why we knit, about the relationship between our hands and our brains and our psyches, not just, you know, the practical parts of knitting, but, but how knitting is a kind of glue that holds us together emotionally, but also holds us in community. To ignore those older voices, I think, does a real disservice to the craft that we're not acknowledging those voices enough. Even I'm guilty of that, I think, sometimes of getting frustrated with my mom's generation and realizing, hey, I need to sit down, shut up and listen. Our parents' generation, they grew up post-war, so they yeah. had their own issues that they had to deal with coming out of such a you know, such a critical time. We've yeah. grown up, you know, 70s, 80s with yeah. all of those restrictions. A lot more was, we had a lot of levers that were taken away. So we had a little bit more freedom and yeah. having the current generation come through and it's like no holds barred. So yeah. it's good that we can now feel that we can talk about what's happening to us physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally. And it's okay to talk about it. So I'm really pleased that you've been able to do those stories and have those conversations happen, whether they're angry or not. I mean, it's great that they're there. Seriously. Well, you know, I think there's nothing wrong sometimes. You know, rage can, if you allow it to galvanize you into a positive action, rage can be a good thing. And I've always wanted, I think, I think I've said this to a couple of people, but I always wanted to be a raging granny and which there's still raging grannies in Canada and the U S now, but for me coming of age in the early, as I became an adult in the early late eighties, early nineties, the raging grannies were a force in the early nineties. They started in anti-nuclear protests and they would make songs and they were very witty and they would dress up like old ladies. They would make a visual pun out of being old women. And the Raging Grannies is it's definitely still my, what I want to be, what I aspire to be. Yes. I keep telling my husband when I'm over 65, just wait. When I'm retired from my job and I don't have to think about it anymore, I plan to be arrested regularly. <laughs> <laughs> You get to know the police force really well. Yeah. Hey, Emily, great to see you again. Oh, here I am. Put the cuffs on me. <laughs>
oh but but here let me have my let me have my walking stick back please <laughs> I, uh, the older i get the more militant i think i get which is great <laughs> you know you've lived for a, such a long period of time and then you draw the line in the sand and say okay not dealing with this anymore it has to change and i think that's what i see and i can see that you're nodding and say that's where you're at too yeah that's exactly where i'm at and i think a lot of us i think there's a a misconception about older women in particular that we get more conservative as we age and i think that's wrong i actually think we let go of a lot of inhibitions because folks who are signed female at birth we're surrounded by inhibitions from the moment we're born you know it's an almost constant we're assigned roles were assigned colors were assigned sexuality were assigned so many things and one by one letting go of those inhibitions i think makes us much more vocal in older age i hope so anyway at least i see it with our generation mm. yeah so it looks like we've already touched on inclusivity haven't we <laughs> yeah we have <laughs> Never trust me to stay on script, Maria. <laughs> I get all excited and you can see my hands. I know you and I can you and I can only see each other, but my hands start waving and I get all excited. <laughs> so you've already talked about as a female, you get assigned as a child and then you slowly let go as you experience life. So your experience so far regarding inclusivity, what has that been? Good question. And I thought about that a lot because I'm, I've been quite open about my discomfort with the feminine label and with a lot of things that are like clothing and styles that are associated with feminine. And part of it may be a reaction to growing up in the 80s, but I think part of it is really a letting go of some inhibitions and a letting go of some of the things that I felt. But the problem that I've had as a larger bodied person is that as I become more and more non-binary, and I, I don't know if we're always born or we feel non-binary just all at once. Perhaps it's like thinking of an onion and you're peeling back layers. But as I've inched over 50, let's put it that way, I've found that my style and how I feel in my body is less and less feminine, overtly feminine, less visually feminine, but also just how I feel in my body. So many of the sewing patterns for fat bodies, aside from Muna and Broad, who do a great job, and Jess and I have had some conversations about wanting clothes that are more gender neutral, that don't make us feel like we're stuck in a female box. But so many of the patterns especially with the styles right now in 2021, they're floofy and frilly, you know, big collars have come back and I have nightmares of Laura Ashley and the big puffy sleeves and the tight waists. And those are clothes that fat women particularly have been guided towards, not even guided towards. We've had it bonked on our head that that's all that's available to you. And I've, I've seen Lindy West the uh, writer talk about the writer of shrill lindy west talked about how every time she does a public appearance they want her to wear a kind of an hourglass silhouette and a red lipstick 
because the feminine body or the fat body exceeds femininity because it's it, we, we think of it as not being feminine we try to make it more feminine or because feminine bodies tend to have hips and breasts we think you should try to be more feminine and to be fat and gender fluid there i found inclusivity very frustrating i found it hard to find patterns i found it hard to find patterns that go to my size you find like that oversized silhouette, the kind of loose clothing style without a lot of frills or furbelows tends to be for under a size 20 or under a size 18. And yet there are a lot of us, you know, over a size 20 or over a size 24 who want to, who want those kinds of clothes. So that's been frustrating. I've asked other fat friends, you know, why don't you post more pictures of yourself? And a lot of us feel that sewing spaces still tend to skew towards thinner bodies. I think that's starting to change. But when you look at hashtags, the predominance is thin bodies. And it's really hard to put yourself out there. If you're a size 26 or a size 30, or to put yourself out there in the internet, in a sewing space, you're worried about judgment, I think, sometimes, or you're worried about seeing other people who look like you. And our fitting issues are a little different, and our bodies sit differently, and they stand differently. So sometimes it's also hard to know if a pattern is going to fit. It's like, for us, clothing almost never, if you want to buy ready-made clothing, you can almost never buy it in the store, you have to order it. And then it's all trial and error. And so, yeah, the universe doesn't want us to be visible or at least our society doesn't want us to be visible. And sometimes it feels like the sewing community in general doesn't want us to be visible either. And I think that's changing, but it's very slow. And I think there's a lot of internalized anti-fat bias that all of us have to keep unpacking in order to do that, including those of us in fat bodies. You know, we have to constantly, I'm constantly, I have my mom's voice in my head telling me, are you sure you should wear that, dear? Don't you think you could show a little bit of your waist? Don't you think you could? I can hear my mom's voice doing that. And I have a great relationship with her. And we have, you know, she's very open now when I tell her, no, mom, you're being fat phobic here. And let's talk about why. But even then, it's still her voice from my teen years in my head. And also, she's been saying that for what, 70 years? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah doesn't help that she was a dancer too so oh okay hey look at least you know it's a conversation you've had and you're going to keep having it's fine (laughs) keep having the conversation I think that's pretty much kind of why we post and why we post about particular topics to keep that conversation going it's not like you raise the topic it's discussed that's it it actually has to be an ongoing conversation and Emily you've been doing that really well oh thank you Thank you. I feel like I haven't been posting as much as I would like. It's been a hard fall. I'm very open about having depression and depression is, I always say it's like having a disease like lupus. It goes into remission spontaneously or with medication goes into remission. Then sometimes it comes back and you have to readjust things. And depression is like that. And it lies to you a little bit. So it takes you a while to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm not just tired. That's actually depression. Okay, now what are we going to do? Yeah, so I'm hoping as I get my energy back, I'm hoping to do more posts again. But thank you for saying that. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. 
I didn't want to lose touch with you. So I'm really pleased that you've <laughs> given us your time and that you've you've got the energy to do this because recording a podcast is not something you do when you're tired. No way. <laughs> I feel like tired is the permanent state of affairs right now, but that'll come back. <laughs> How did you find the Sabbath 50 community? So that was that first post that I did on my private account uh, with Jess's blog. And then it got reposted. And I think so over 50 reposted it. But I, I had been sort of looking, I started, I know you wanted to ask me how I started to sew. And I can tell you when I started to sew again, I learned how to sew when I was seven. And my grandmother put a needle and thread into my hands. And it was just I loved it. And we lived in China in the 70s and there was no television, wasn't a lot to do. So we kind of entertained ourselves. I made copious things. I made all kinds of Barbie clothes and doll clothes and miniatures. And so I always hand sewed. And then I taught myself how to sew on a sewing machine. My grandmother had an Elna Lotus, which she let me have. I learned how to sew badly. I didn't understand what a seam allowance was. So I look back on some of those projects and I'm, I think, oh my God, I wore them out in public. But I started to get back into sewing again. I've been friends with Sonia Phillip for the last, let's just name drop. I'm friends with Sonia <laughs> Phillip. Oh, she's going to laugh at that. You just hair flick then. Very <laughs> <laughs> <There we> did. <laughs> my short hair. Sonia and I have been friends since Flickr days. We were involved, all of us in a community on Flickr of wardrobe remix, which was really fun. And Sonia and I became friends there. And I remember when she started her 100 Acts of Sewing project, we are all part of a knitting group who stay together in a house at Rhinebeck, which is the big knitting festival in Rhinebeck, New York, every October. Sonia started sewing clothes. I ended up with some of Sonia's patterns and I started to sew. I made the dress number one a bunch of times and loved it. And I got back into sewing again. So then I started to look at what else was out there. When Sonia first published her patterns, there really wasn't a lot for bodies over even a size 16, 18. And I was right at that cusp. So with Sonia's patterns, I could make any number of combinations of things but I did start to look around and I started looking at hashtags and I think I ended up following so over 50 because of the so over 50 hashtags and it was such a relief I think for me to see people with aging bodies and aging faces mm. I was really kind of overwhelmed by unrelieved in the fat community so many of the faces were very young the so over 50 community was like a godsend to see people who looked like me and who had been through the same things. And who, if I said, I went to the first Lollapalooza or that, you know, I saw Nirvana in concert. <laughs> when I said that to people, sometimes those people weren't born when, when Kurt Cobain died. And I have <laughs> a moment of feeling like, okay, it's like when my friend's parents talked about seeing the Beatles in 63. <laughs> You know, I'm that old now. Okay. It was nice to be, to be with people. I didn't have to explain my pop culture references to. That's right. It wasn't a history lesson. Yeah, that's right. So you've covered the how you sewed and the Sonia <laughs> Phyllis part. So that's really great. 
we've talked about your experience with inclusivity yep. and you you do a lot of research, you do a lot of papers. How do you see a way forward when it comes to inclusivity in the sign community? Well, you know, that's a good question because I think I'm already starting to see change. I think that there are a lot of us who are starting to examine our relationships to media and to how we've been socialized as women to pay attention to our bodies and are are kind of less interested in that now. And I think the pandemic has helped that, you know, a lot of us are fatter than we were and we're having to come to terms with that. And with that, unpack some of the anti-fat bias that we were socialized into. I think what you said is important that we keep posting about it, keep talking about it, keeping it front and center. Mm. But I also think that like anything else, it also takes personal work. And I'd like to direct this to those of us who feel like we shouldn't put our faces or our bodies out into the public sphere, is that you have you by you, I don't mean you, Marie, but I mean, every all of us have the right. And I think the fabulousness to put ourselves out there and and that I want more I want to see more I've tried to follow back everyone who's followed me and I'm going to continue to do that because I love seeing the variety of faces and bodies and styles even if I don't want to make a super frilly dress I love seeing a super frilly dress on somebody else I love seeing bodies that are much, much larger than mine. I think one of the best things about following so many different people is that my eyes have become used to seeing all shapes and sizes as gorgeous. Like there is something inherently exquisite about flesh, about a really fleshy body uh, that I never, in, in all those years that I was so hard on myself, so hard on others, so judgmental of myself and other people, so worried about what somebody else thought. I never noticed how amazing even cellulite is. Like it's actually really amazing and beautiful and has this really wonderful biological function. Why don't we celebrate more? So the more visible, I'm going to make this an, a call to action that we make all of our, you know, older bodies visible, that wrinkles and lines and grooves, and they're amazing. I did an assignment with some students one year where we looked at photographs from the 1930s of older folks in the depression, and they talked about how beautiful they were. And then I posted color photographs from think this was 2005 2006 and I posted color photographs and I said why are these different like we romanticize older folks in olden times but we don't see the value of them today I think we need to make ourselves visible there you go that's what I see as the future and keep unpacking that work anti-age bias or age bias we all have as well like we're taught to think of ourselves as useless because we can't move as well or do as much or we get tired more easily that somehow we're not of value to society when in fact we're elders we are we have teachings to impart we have insights to impart we have to see ourselves of value 
And I think in cultures outside of our own, they value the knowledge that elders have. That's, you know, a way forward for us to make sure that we value the elders within our community. And we do that through Server 50. Yes, I think we do. I think you do. And I think I want more of that. I want to see elements of myself reflected. I'm tired of being invisible. And the only way we're going to change, I think, that invisibility is if we put ourselves out there. Excellent. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I think we've come to the end of it for now. I I think we're both feeling like, okay, I'm ready to fight. Let's go in, coach. (laughs) Emily, like I said at the start, I'm so glad that you answered my direct message to come onto the podcast. The conversations that you have through your public Instagram account I suggest that people have a look at. If the, if listeners haven't found you already, you're at, at Loves a Slug 2, T-O-O. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. I'm glad we finally did this. So am I. Thank you so much, Emily. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Soul Gunnar Style Podcast for Sober 50 was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Emily, sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to So Organized Style Podcast, but with an S not a Z on all good podcast apps. Make sure you give us a five-star rating and review. Support this podcast through our Patreon account as well as every podcast is free. We have so many great So Over 50 podcasts for you to catch up on and hear from great people in the So Over 50 community. We hope our podcasts help you stay connected and make you smile. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our podcast website at soorganizedstyle.com or on our Instagram account at soorganizedstyle or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.